Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. guys, this is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. Um, you can catch up with me on Twitter. I am at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram as I Love That Movie Podcast. And we have a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss our favorite films, judgment-free. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It helps new listeners find us, and we really appreciate it. Uh, the last thing I want to plug before we get started is we will have a panel at DragonCon. Uh, that's going to be August 31st at 10 a.m. at the Hilton in Room Gallery of 6, and we're talking aliens. So watch Aliens a bunch of times, I guess, and prepare. I know we will be doing that. Uh, we will record live, but I won't post the episode until I get back from vacation. So looking forward to that. Um, and I've got a returning guest with me here today. I've got Chris Balga. Hey, Lisa. Hey, everyone. How are you doing today? Hey, Chris, um, we had you on our Ghostbusters episode and also, and also my two-year anniversary episode because you made the top five. No, I mean, it, it, it's kind of shocking my first time on it and then making the top five. So it's it was definitely uh, kind of an honor just to be on it and then being on it for for the, the anniversary. So happy to be back. Yes. And Chris, before we jump into the movie we're going to talk about today, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Oh, my name's uh, Chris Balga. Uh, I'm, I live in North Carolina. I'm an assistant principal at a local high school and have actually started my own podcast. It's called World's Finest True Believers, where we talk about uh, guest comes on. It, uh, as I've said on my show, when Lisa came on, it's kind of modeled after hers, but with comics and graphic novels, a guest comes on and chooses their uh, comic book or graphic novel, comic book arc or graphic novel that they're favored from any publisher and we do a deep dive into it yes and i love your show um you just made me feel so comfortable because i love to read comics but i'm not quite as seasoned of a comic book reader as i'm sure you are and many other listeners so you really kind of helped guide guided me through that whole process like i you know of course reread it um the arc that we talked about was batman and robin eternal but i also really appreciated all the background information that you give on like how you know the comic artists got their careers started how they put the story together it's a really fun listen so i highly recommend you guys go check it out i'll put it in the show notes as well oh, thank you so much that, that means a lot at that point it, it just it gives me that opportunity to uh, look at the writers and artists that sometimes I know about and don't know as much. And so it gives me an opportunity to kind of share that what I find out. Now let's talk about the movie we're going to talk about today. So what what movie are we discussing today? We are discussing Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan from 1982. 
Yes. Okay. So before we dive in, um, why don't you give me a little bit of background on when you saw this movie, how you saw it, how much of a Trek you are, etc. Um, I probably I did not see this in theaters. I was two years away from being born, so definitely was <laughs> definitely was not seeing it in the theaters. If my parents did. Uh, I, I may have heard it through the womb, but first time I probably saw it was probably VHS and probably about nine or 10 years old if I if I had to take a good stab at it. But mm-hmm. uh, I kind of got introduced to Star Trek through the movies themselves. Um, gotcha. Okay. So kind of, I believe this was my first at that point. And by the time I was watching it, Next Generation was on TV. So kind of got you know, binging before binging, any chance I got to see Star Trek The Next Generation, watched that, and then just kind of fell into all the movies and, you know, kind of became a bigger movie buff of Star Trek, but always, I think Next Generation, I've watched, uh, did not get into Deep Space Nine, not to knock Deep Space Nine, it just... No I, no it, offense it, taken. It, pa- it passed me by at that point. I'll give it another <laughs> chance, um, but watched Voyager, um, really looking, it's CBS All Access is making it really difficult for me to uh, look for that new Picard series and watch Discovery. So, so definitely love everything about uh, Star Trek itself. Quick plug too. Um, in addition to having Discovery, which is an awesome show, um, and soon Picard, there's also going to be an animated series called I think Lower Decks, which is written by I believe the creative team behind Rick and Morty. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's going to be really fun. I found that out because I was listening to another podcast that's called uh, Yo, Is This Racist? (laughs) It's it's a show (laughs) where uh, two hosts take in questions where people literally call in and they're like, do you think this is racist? And they tackle that. And it's kind of satirical, but also serious. But anyway, one of the uh, one of the hosts, Tani Newsom, she mentioned on the show that she was going to be on this new animated series. And so I went and looked it up and she's actually doing a podcast too. That's going to be kind of a recap. I think after every episode of the Picard series. Um, and uh, it was kind of funny because people were telling her, well, you better start watching star Trek. And she was like, already done that. <laughs> and she was like just dropping some knowledge and it was just kind of funny. You can't tell by looking at somebody if they're a star Trek fan or not. Um, but it was just funny. People were trying to educate her and she was already kind of, she was already a Trekkie. She's one of us. So all that stuff got me kind of pumped for that. Um, so yeah, look, look that up later, but, um, no, I definitely will. And I, and I remember, um, just came to my memory. I got, when I, when I said I'd watched Voyager when I was in Disney world, way with a young kid, um, we had found out Kate Mulgrew was actually coming to speak at uh, Hollywood oh, studios wow. and they, um, they took questions from the audience and I actually, as a kid got to ask the first question. And unfortunately she didn't necessarily answer. I asked is, are the, uh, is there any chance that the Borg were coming on to Voyager or anything like that? I believe it was, I believe it was before seven of nine, uh, came about. So she kind of defaulted into, um, first contact and said, I think the next movie they're looking at it. And she kind of got cagey about it. So I think if the timeline was right, uh, 
they were getting ready to do something. Man, like those that. interview skills started early for you. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's no secret if you've heard this show at all, you know that I'm a huge Trekkie and it goes back to when I was a child. Um, I know that my, uh, I've mentioned before that my my father side of the family they would watch all the all of these movies like wrath of khan you know uh, voyage home all, all that good stuff all, all six of those but i wasn't a huge fan at the time and you know when i was a real little kid to me this cast was older it wasn't as hip and so i wasn't as into it i definitely watched a lot of the next generation and then later became a mega fan of ds9 and that's what kind of launched my trekkie career that that's what flipped me from being just like a regular casual viewer to being kind of intense um but Mm -hmm. because of that i went back and watched all these movies and had a new appreciation for them and now it's like hard to pop one in without like tearing up and thinking about my childhood and just being so happy um i'll i'll talk more about that in some of the other episodes i don't want to recap everything i said but basically i've been going to star trek (laughs) convention since i was 12 too and so it i've got a long history with that but with that said, um, the Wrath of Khan, I think, is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I think it's probably considered the strongest of the original uh, movies um, for a lot of reasons that we'll talk about here. And I'm just like super excited to dive into it. I uh, was just watching the um, commentary track with Nicholas Meyer and uh, so it's kind of watched it almost twice now and watched a lot of the behind the scenes. I've got a really nice uh, Blu-ray set that has a lot of special features. So been kind of deep diving into Trek. You know, you didn't exactly have to twist my arm to make me do that, but I feel equipped <laughs> to talk about this movie. So I think the next thing that we're going to do is I'll go ahead and read the synopsis and then I'll read a couple of quick facts. Sounds good. So here's the synopsis for The Wrath of Khan. As Admiral James T. Kirk and Captain Spock monitor trainees at Starfleet Academy, another vessel from the United Federation of Planets is about to try out the planet-creating Genesis device in a seemingly deserted portion of space. In the process, two of Kirk's officers are captured by Khan, an enemy Kirk thought he'd never see again. Once more, Kirk takes the Enterprise helm where he meets Khan's ship in an intergalactic showdown. Sums it up pretty well. Pretty... It's uh, succinct, but this discusses like the epicness of this movie itself. Yes, definitely. And with that, I'm going to jump in with a couple of quick facts about the movie and feel free to chime in if you've got any thoughts or if you have some uh, trivia of your own. Um, the first one I have is that the close-ups of the SETI eels entering and exiting Chekhov's ear were done using a huge rubber replica of Walter Koenig's ear. One morning, the effects team uh, discovered the art department had left a true-to-size scale uh, or ch- a true-to-scale size Q-tip next to the giant ear. Ooh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and by the way, I'm sure we'll talk about it. that scene. Scared the hell out of me as a child. Um, I feel like it scarred me, but I just thought that was kind of funny. I also have that uh, producer Harv Bennett viewed all the original Star Trek episodes and chose Space Seed as the best candidate for a sequel. Spock even remarks in the script that it would be interesting to return in 100 years or so to see what type of civilization had grown there. This is the first time a movie was made as a sequel to a specific television show episode. I mean, it was a pretty epic kind of episode itself and making sure that someone 
I, I mean, I saw the originals way after they aired, but with the idea of the someone that could go toe to toe with Kirk. Right. Yeah. Um, we'll kind of delve more into that when we talk about Nicholas Meyer, but I think one problem he saw with Star Trek, the motion pictures, there wasn't a strong villain. And so it made sense to go back because he wasn't really a Star Trek fan. He didn't really watch the show. He had to go back and watch the whole series. And then that's just what stuck out to him as like, this is a villain that can go, you know, toe to toe with Kirk and that fans will recognize. And I just think that was such a smart move. Um, and, and I think it does stand out. And, and that's why to this day, I feel like a lot of people, even if they're not huge Trek fans, they tend to like this movie out of all the other ones. And especially just coming off of motion picture and the controversy behind the reception behind that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also had, and this was kind of interesting to me because I've thought about her since then and wondered how she got this part and, you know, all that good stuff. But Kirstie Alley was a fan of Star Trek as a child. Uh, and Spock was actually her favorite character and she would fantasize about being his daughter. Uh, so when she, <laughs> <laughs> which is like hella nerdy, I love it. Um, when she audif- auditioned for Savick, she did an impression of Leonard Nimoy's portrayal of, as Spock um, because she knew the character so well. And it's funny because I noticed, I, I think I just did notice this when I was younger watching it, but it does say introducing Kirstie Alley. So this even predates her on Cheers. You know, she went on to win like a, a Golden Globe and I think also an Emmy. So it, she was really like coming into this completely brand new. Uh, in the commentary track, uh, Nicholas Meyer said that she wore her Spock ears to bed. She was just so excited about getting to be a Vulcan. I mean, I mean, look at that. She's even a Trekkie does the diehard tricky and that kind of, you know, who, who knew that unless you listen to commentary track or look at behind the scenes, but you know, she's one of us. Right. Yeah. I just feel like, especially, um, back in my day when I was younger, I would keep up with like a lot of like Hollywood gossip and she's just gotten such a bad rap for so many things. Uh, and so you kind of forget like that she's just an actor, you know? And, and so, uh, hearing that about her, I thought was just so interesting. I feel like that's definitely gotten lost. Um, well, kind of the details of her career and kind of adding on to that, I found out something else with the casting. Uh, Kim Cattrall was actually Nicholas Meyer's first choice for Savage. Oh yeah. I saw that. That's and, so interesting. <laughs> and, and proved to be unavailable. And then you flash forward to undiscovered country which Nicholas Smiles also directed, Savick was actually supposed to return as a major character, but Cottrell said she didn't want to be the third actress to play Savick, and so that's when they changed yeah. it to uh, Lieutenant Valeris. Yeah. Yeah, I did read that. Last quick piece of trivia that I have is that Kirk and Khan never meet face-to-face in this movie. All their interaction is through view screens or communicators. This was because Ricardo Montalban filmed his scenes separately from the main production in order to accommodate his filming schedule of Fantasy Island. I mean, yeah, he became a huge, I mean, he was already a huge star and then Fantasy Island blew him up even further. So he was a pretty busy guy. Yeah, he was in demand for sure. Um, yeah. Did you have any other quick things you wanted to throw in there? Yeah. Um, looking like Nicholas Meyer himself had said on the commentary and reading up on it, he'd actually never seen Star Trek before. But he really wanted mm-hmm. to make this movie when he heard that they were looking at it after he wrote and directed his first movie, Time After Time. And when he joined the project, the 
the film itself had gone through five drafts and scripts. And so when he got his team together, he said, I want you to pick the best things out of every, out of all the scripts, whatever it is, themes, people, whatever. And the things that were kept were the Genesis planet, Khan, the death of Spock, Kirk meeting his son, and then Savick. So yeah. it was interesting bringing that amalgam together. Um, he, a couple of people were kind of, holding not wanting to come on the film uh george takei or george takai i always forget which how you pronounce it um initially declined to appear and william shatner had to convince him to come on uh leonard nimoy initially had absolutely no interest in doing the, a second star trek movie when he reluctantly got convinced to do the first and he finally got persuaded by uh harv harv bennett came him on and when he promised a death scene and an early draft of the script had the death scene taking place at the beginning of the film oh, and wow. that and that leaked and fans got really angry about it and yeah. some people think it was Gene Roddenberry who had be um, who kind of leaked it so Meyer had has had the idea of the Kobe Maru sequence let's kill Spock there and throw him off and Kobe so Yashimaru. people sorry yep (laughs) so they uh so they're able to throw him off but um which was good on their part because what a way to you know hide that whole whole idea of spoiler alert spock dies yeah and i mean even after this movie came out that continued to be controversial there's so many decisions that nicholas meyer made that are controversial and they directly conflict with what gene roddenberry wanted in the show and they were like perfect i mean they they affected every movie going forward in the best way it just goes to show sometimes you do need someone uh brand new fresh to come in and take a new look at everything and make some changes i mean sometimes that's what we need um And, you know, with that, I do want to transition into talking more about Nicholas Meyer. I've got so much stuff that I want to talk about um, in regards to him because I just found the story of how this movie got made so interesting. Um, You already Mm -hmm. mentioned about how hard it was to bring everybody on. I know they even removed Gene Roddenberry from a direct role in the development of Wrath of Khan uh, due to concerns he was the main, you know, problem with the motion pictures uh, lukewarm reception. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, they put him on as a, a a consultant when he refused to share a hands-on role with another producer, and um, it, it got it's very interesting. Uh, I think it was either William Shatner's autobiography about Star Trek, the movie sequences, or I Am Spock by Leonard Nimoy. They had um, discussed. It, when it gets to Undiscovered Country, when he saw that, he basically penned a whole letter bashing the film, saying this was awful, this is a betrayal thing. And very shortly after he died, um, oh, before the release terrible. of the film, um, it seems the later years after Roddenberry was kind of not a fan of all the direction of the films, but it was kind of sad to hear that the last memories he had of Star Trek was hating how they portrayed it. So... You know, sometimes, like you said, an outsider bring a new perspective, but sometimes the original creators have such a a desire to hold on to what they did. They don't want to see any kind of changes to it. Right. I mean, just think about like George Lucas and how he responds now if you ask him about Star Wars, right? <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, things like that happen. Um, 
I also noticed that uh, you talked about the writing, like the drafts, how many drafts were made. Um, so the main writers were Jack B. Sowards and Harv Bennett. But Meyer completed his final script in 12 days, and he did that without accepting a writing credit, but he pretty much wrote the movie himself, which I thought I was mean, interesting. I mean, 12 days, ooh. <laughs> I know. I mean, they were basically down to the wire. Like, it's so interesting um, in the commentary and also just learning about it, just weird stuff like – uh, you know, they decided to change the uniforms. Nicholas Meyer wanted the uniforms to look more Navy-like, nautical. And so they actually just re-dyed the, um, the costumes from the first movie and then like cut them up and restyled them, basically. They didn't even have enough money in their budget to make new uniforms. They were like, what dye will these take the best? Dark red? Okay, let's go with that. Like, it's just interesting. <laughs> uh, all these decisions that are so iconic now, I mean, that changed the uniforms going forward. And Roddenberry oh, yeah. was really opposed to that. He was like, that's too militaristic. It's, you know, that's not what Starfleet is. You know, it's about exploration. It's not about a military presence. But I, you know, I was talking to my husband about this. I feel like the reason why Nicholas Meyer knew that was the right choice is that I think Starfleet's a little bit hard to define. Like, in terms of a broad depiction of what Roddenberry wanted, like, I get it. But then when you make it like the Navy, it's we know what the Navy is, you know, and we understand the rules and conventions there. And I think it just makes it easier for the audience to get on board with what's going on and to understand the structure and everything. And Roddenberry just wasn't a big details guy. You know, he had a big, beautiful vision. Um, but Nicholas Meyer was sort of grounding it in this movie and it really worked. I mean, it, it made it to where it went on to, you know, six films. Yeah. And I, I agree. The, the costume change was great. The, it, it brought it to a different level, but I don't think, I think, you know, Rod Meyer is entitled to it. He's the creator of the, the oh, whole idea behind us. But even when the changes were made with Wrath of Khan and the quote unquote made it more militaristic, I never thought that, they were not actively going out looking for war. They're not actively going out and searching for a fight. They're, they have the means to defend themselves and, and do what they need to do. It's it's meant more defensive than offensive, unless they have to be offensive. I mean, the whole beginning sequence of Kobayashi Maru kind of shows that they don't want that, but they're ready to defend and attack if necessary. I totally agree. And I do want to say, like, that's the one area that I kind of disagree with Nicholas Meyer on. Like, in the commentary track, he talks about how, you know, uh, Roddenberry's vision was peaceful and, um, you know, they're not a military and all that stuff. And he kind of disagreed with that. And he knew that audiences want there to be a big dogfight in space. And I think maybe, you know, story wise, we want to see that. But I agree that Starfleet should never be approached as just being the aggressor. And so, you know, you can kind of take it in a direction that people understand with, you know, the Navy theme. I think that was brilliant. I think it it's grounded, like he said. Um, but I do think overall Starfleet should be peaceful. And I don't think that this movie is in conflict with that. I totally agree with you. Yeah. And I, I thought I found an interesting little behind the scenes stuff. Apparently, uh, Khan's henchmen were met where a lot of them were Chippendale dancers at the time of the filming. <laughs> they certainly look like it. <laughs> it's very dated. Like they look like very, yeah. <laughs> and uh, apparently William 
William Shatner also had to be convinced uh, to join the movie. He was very upset, even on the commentary track about the portrayal of the movie. And apparently he he didn't like himself being portrayed as middle-aged and yeah. they had to convince him that he could uh, age gracefully like Spencer Tracy. And they appealed to uh, William Shatner's ego at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody like being called middle-aged? Like I certainly don't, but you know, reality is we all get older and it's such a powerful, you know, plot device in this movie. I mean, the movie is oh my essentially, gosh, it is. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. I mean, th- I th- again, I think there's so many interesting elements of the story that um, make it to where, you know, casual fans can really enjoy it. And one really cool Easter egg, um, well, not really Easter egg, but one really cool tidbit that I saw uh, was that Nicholas Meyer actually wanted to call this movie The Undiscovered Country in a reference to death. I mean, that's the the undiscovered country and, and mm-hmm. also to Hamlet. Um, and you can really feel that a lot in this movie. He really utilized uh, Montalban, um, his talent, and just his sort of Shakespearean acting throughout the film. It's so cool, and I think that adds such a, a great like level of gravitas to every scene that I think influenced you know TNG and the casting with that. I don't know. Did- because I don't think TNG. Oh yeah, that was in the nineties. So um, well, no, it, it right? actually took place or in 80, 87. 87. I, I always okay. I always forget how late eighties that show started. I because I, I I obviously discovered it in the nineties, but it was right, it was late eighties. So <laughs> yeah, it's like you you have to think. I feel like the way this was approached with you know throwing in Shakespeare and all that stuff, I really feel like that influenced TNG. They were like, why don't we just hire Shakespearean actors like Patrick Stewart, you know? And I feel mm-hmm. like they used that even more on TNG than they did here. But I feel like it kind of started here, and I just really liked that element. And he finally got to use that title, Undiscovered Country, at the end. Not my favorite Star Trek movie, but you know, I still enjoy watching it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my second favorite. It's you know, there's, you know, Voyage Home, Undiscovered I Country. I like this. <laughs> it's it's very different, but I like Undiscovered Country. Just it's it's a, it it shows like you can feel it's the end, but it's they do it in such I think they give a graceful ending. But that's a discussion for another time. But kind of <laughs> like you're saying, he couldn't get Undiscovered Country, but he hated the title of Wrath of Khan. Like he. Uh. The studio wanted that. They actually wanted to name it Vengeance of Khan, but they changed it because of an upcoming little indie movie called Revenge of the Jedi was possibly going to be coming <laughs> out. And then yeah, last minute call. they changed it to Return to the Return of the Jedi. So neither film had revenge in their title. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you know, another problem with calling it the Wrath of Khan is that you automatically know walking in Khan's going to be in it, whereas it was sort of supposed to be a reveal. Like he Mm -hmm. dramatically reveals himself in the movie. So I can understand the director being like, I don't really want that to be the title. (laughs) This is blow the surprise instead of, oh, no, we can we can always have have them deny Khan's in it. Oh, God. No, no. (laughs) Down that rabbit hole. (laughs) Totally. Well, um, I think it's I think this is a good point to, you know, we've already kind of started talking about the movie. Do you want to talk Mm -hmm. about some of your your favorite scenes? Yeah, definitely. Kind of not even a scene, but just the starting off of the soundtrack by James Horner. Mm -hmm. This is definitely I don't. I love soundtracks, but James Horner, man, he this is apparently one of his his big break movie. 
Yeah, um, yeah. And just of how Jerry Goldsmith did the original movie, mm-hmm. and then he came in, and I just love the the soundtrack, what he did with it. One of my favorite sequences is, um, I think it's entitled Kirk's Explosive Response, mm-hmm. and it's the the attack when uh the surprise attack that he ends up shooting shooting at at uh reliant but it's just it's bombastic at times but some of the themes he has going on with spock kirk um it's just very a lot of great themes in that soundtrack i completely agree i mean basically jerry goldsmith was too expensive because you know the first movie didn't do very well so they couldn't really bring him back and you're right that's what gave james horner his break and i'm so glad that it did because i think that uh the music in this movie i love jerry goldsmith by the way i want to say that really mm-hmm. quick obviously the guys okay, nothing, nothing but, <laughs> nothing nothing but love it's just <laughs> but this is a different movie and it's got a different vibe and uh you know uh nicholas meyer kind of wanted this sort of I don't know if this is the right term, but this is what's coming to mind, sort of swashbuckling adventure type seafaring music. I mean, he wanted it to be exciting and not like the standard Trek. Um, And you can really hear that in the score. I don't think I noticed that as much growing up, but after I heard that, I definitely paid more attention to it. And I was like, yeah, you know, the the uh, the music's like really fun and it's exciting and it it is different Mm -hmm. and it really fits with the with the vibe of the whole film. And so, no, I totally agree with you really appreciate his, uh, his contribution to that. Yeah. So moving on from the actual sound before getting the first scene, just the first scene of the movie you're expecting, it says on the enterprise, wait a minute, who's speaking? Who is this in the captain's chair? <laughs> you know, it, right. it's, and, and we get into the, the Kobayashi Maru, this, this ship is in danger and you see, you see Kirstie Alley's introduction. It's it's Savick and Sulu's on the ship. Uh, Ahura, Spock. It's just like, what is going on? Where's Kirk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just you know, kind of thrown in. And just the shocking way to begin where they decide to break the neutral zone and rescue the ship. And it turns out to be a trap by the Klingons. And everyone dies except for Savick. It sounds like Jimmy Dewan makes it as Scotty from the voice. <laughs> and then you're like, Oh my gosh, what, what are we getting into? What, what happened? And then it just opens and you see God himself. Kirk walks in and says, <laughs> Klingons don't take prisoners. <laughs> Man, yeah, I love this opening scene. It's so exciting and it's so like it just throws you right in and you're like you said, you're left wondering like what's going on. And then there's that great reveal. Um, I wonder how how fans felt when they saw that for the first time. They're like, oh, this is where they kill Spock. Like, it's such a great misdirect. Like you were talking oh, yeah, about and like, earlier. And like ever wipe. I mean, was it just like before the Game of Thrones or anyone killing major characters? <laughs> we kill everyone in the first five minutes. Who else does that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, something interesting, I, I had to look up because it was it was throwing me and I put on I put on the closed caption because I said, am I hearing this right? Calling Savick Mister Mister Savick, and oh, apparently they say, that? they say that throughout the entire movie. And Ooh, I said, "There's got to be, there's got to be a reason for it. They can't just be chauvinistic 
at that point. There's a reason. Apparently, it is not an error. In the military, the correct way to, to for another officer to address a lieutenant is Mr., followed by the person's surname, and it's not gender-specific any more than captain is gender-specific. So, however, if that lieutenant is being addressed by a lower rank and is a female, she will be addressed as ma'am, not sir. Interesting. I kind of like that, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. It's like, hey, we are the same rank regardless um, of gender. So I kind of like that. It's a little forward mm-hmm. thinking, actually. But yeah, so when uh, Kirk comes in, everyone gets up, everyone's alive. And, you know, McCoy kind of makes this thing and said, what? the Enterprise is going out. The actual Enterprise is going out. And McCoy says, wouldn't it be easier to put an experience crew back on it? And Kirk makes this slide comment saying gallivanting across the cosmos is a game for the young. And oh, by the way, he's an admiral now. He's no longer yeah. Captain Kirk. He is now risen to the rank of admiral due to, I guess, the, the the what had taken place to in the motion picture, saving the universe again uh, from V'ger. But, you know, he is now an admiral. He is no longer the captain of the Enterprise. Right. Yeah. That's got to be, I want, again, I wonder what fans were thinking watching this, like what, like things that we just in hindsight completely accept. I mean, it's really shaking everything up. Yeah. And actually establishing the movie in the 23rd century, nothing had ever specifically said in, in the, it could just been Gene Rawberry between 21st and 31st century star dates, oh. but this is one that kind of establishes a, a timeline going forward in the 23rd century. Again, um, that grounding thing again, you know, yeah. just adding more rules and structure. And I think, I don't know. I just think that that's what we need these days, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and liking like as Kirk leaves, it comes out and sees Spock says, aren't you dead? <laughs> but just, Kirk's it's it's his birthday mm-hmm. and everyone that tries to remind him of his birthday the gift from Spock McCoy comes in and gives him Romulan ale the I guess the the Cuban cigars of Star Trek everyone yeah. it's illegal but everyone <laughs> seems to know how to get a hold of it <laughs> have you ever had um they released a special beer uh during like the 50th anniversary and it was like Romulan ale did you have? I one? heard I heard about it. Never got a chance. I I had a taste of it. It was pretty good. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it's supposed to be blue, right? It wasn't blue, yes. but um, it was still good. It was still tasty. I want that. That I've had that. I also want a Ractagino eventually, and Klingon blood wine. Those are the last two that I need to drink. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that added. Like this is like you know contraband almost. It's pretty cool. But somehow McCoy can get a hold of it from his uh, medical or smuggling contacts. But he he supposedly is 52 years old, but he every time he gets reminded of it's a birthday, he's acting like it's a funeral. Even McCoy calls him out and, and says, you know, you really want to be a captain on a ship, but you can't do that anymore. And it's kind of like the message of the film. Like we said, like it's revolving around like death, but it's about fighting growing older and holding on to the past. I mean, look at Kirk's entire apartment, all the antiques he has collected. He's mm-hmm. given antiques like Spock gives him an antique book. McCoy gives him antique glasses. Um, <laughs> yes. And and then the sins of the past from his own decisions come back to haunt him. It almost reminds me of later on um, Star Trek Generations too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that theme goes forward. 
I agree. And there's so much detail that you're mentioning here. I forgot to mention in the first scene, um, whenever they are uh, in the ship that Khan and his followers are in, um, uh, Chekhov and the other dude, um, when they're in there, there's some books on the wall and it's uh, like Captain or it's uh, a books that all have something to do with the movie. They're like kind of Easter eggs. Did you notice that? Yes, like you, you have a like King Lear. Yeah, you have Moby Dick. Moby Dick, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Meyer kind of goes on to the commentary said those were placed there on purpose. Those were not done haphazardly. Yeah, it seems like he really paid a lot of attention to detail throughout the film, and yeah, it's just that scene that you're talking about now is no different, and it's it, it is really good. I I can totally understand, you know. Uh, um, William Shatner not being thrilled to talk about the fact that he's getting older, but I mean, you have to humanize these characters and we have to be able to relate to them. And that's a really good way to do it is to just not ignore the elephant in the room. The fact that they're all so much older now um, and just kind of run with it. Yeah. And then you kind of flash forward to uh, get to introducing Khan. you know, we see Chekhov is on a new ship, the Reliant, and they're looking for a planet to test something that this Dr. Kill Marcus wants to test this device on to see if before they have, before they can on a planet, they have to see if it's uh, uh, nothing's habitable, but something's coming in with a life signal. So like you said, they go down there and they think they're on a, a, a planet called city out Al- city alpha six. Is and it city alpha six or five? They think it's city alpha oh, six. Oh, that's right. Okay. They think it's that. But and then- so they go down there and then Chekhov finds a belt buckle that says Botany Bay. And he basically says, oh, no, this is not the right planet. And ah, they run right. outside. And that's it's such a cool sequence when they go out there and all these people are just staring at them. And the the slow removal of, of, the, of the sandstorm protection just to reveal one glove, the face mask, the glasses to reveal, and... It's just everyone just says it, even though we knew he was coming, just goes, God. (laughs) Yeah. And you're right. That's the scene with the books. For some reason, I guess we kind of talked about the scene a little bit earlier. So I was like getting confused at the order. Oh, no. It's it's just cool to see because it establishes Khan as a a studier of history. Right. Um, Not one that's – I don't know if he totally respects it per se, but one that studies it and tries to use it to his advantage. Mm -hmm. And – he just kind of he recognizes, but the, again, going back to James Horner, the theme of Khan, just like you, it's it, the theme, just is so evil and calculating, but defines Khan. And Ricardo Montalban, when he came back to when he got recast in this, he had been so far away, obviously from the character, he actually had to watch Space Seed a number of times to get back into the character and to understand it. And I kind of laugh when. Meyer says in the commentary as Khan's walking around at the ship talking to Chekhov saying, and yes, that is his real chest. He did a lot of (laughs) push-ups. I don't know. He said, I don't know why people didn't think that that man is is a good looking man and thought it was a fake chest. No, that is his chest. (laughs) Well, it's like shocking, (laughs) right? Yeah, he's a built dude. (laughs) He is. And like, I think I, I, I think especially on like fantasy island you just don't think of him that way not that i was watching a lot of fantasy island obviously but um yeah like i i think i kind of mentioned this on twitter so ricardo Montalban, i saw him speak at a convention when i was really young it was like like right before he died i think 
uh, just his accent is so just one of those things like I could just sit and listen to you. I know. In fact, the director was saying, um, I watched like a sort of tribute to him. It was one mm-hmm. of the extras on the DVD. And the, and he was talking about he really should have been a, an even bigger actor than he was. But because of his accent, he felt like he was really held back a little bit. Now he'd be like super famous. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I feel yeah. like people are yeah. a little more open minded now. <laughs> like he would be like Pedro Pascal or something. But um, but back then, you know, things were different. So he got a lot of parts that were kind of a little hammy, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, more caricature. And so this is a, a part that he got to really explore that was, you know, very fleshed out and uh, it could really showcase his talents. And very much his own in the sense of it didn't matter. Like he could have had an American accent. He right. has his accent. It, 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 it didn't matter. And what I found interesting, and I obviously not watching the original, not knowing timelines, when like Chekhov recognizes Khan and Khan says he never forgets a face. Well, apparently um, when Space Seed aired, uh, Chekhov didn't appear on Star Trek until an episode uh, an episode a year later. <laughs> and so, however, Khan still recognizes him. And this is consistencies as explained by the assumption that Chekhov was actually working on the ship during the event, but not on the bridge and that he and Khan met off screen. And uh, Walter Koenig joked that Chekhov made Khan wait in line for a toilet once, explaining Khan's vivid memory of him. Um, a widely accepted <laughs> like theory, yeah, <laughs> widely accepted theory is that uh, Chekhov actually working in security during Space Seed and managed to delay Khan while taking over engineering, and this impressed Kirk enough to offer Chekhov a position on the bridge. So, but Nicholas Myers acknowledges the mistake, and he said, "Well, guess what? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle may, frequently made." errors but i don't he didn't make apologies and i'm not going to make apologies for it it it, <laughs> it comes off really good <laughs> yeah i feel like nicholas meyer is so funny his commentary track is awesome but like yeah he's definitely not shy and like comparing himself to author conan doyle sir author conan doyle i i just i thought that was funny um yeah but uh yeah uh you gotta love trekkies man they notice we we notice everything right like we get all the little details and point things out and um keeps keeps the actors and the writers on their toes sometimes (laughs) true true and that just reminds me of that uh when william shatner was on uh snl saying yes you people get a life get a life you've turned you've you've (laughs) turned you've turned something that i needed to get paid paid a little bit of money into a complete waste of time you have you ever been with a woman (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i remember as a kid seeing that i feel like i saw that live like it it was just so funny but um but like kind of funny now when you think about how much william shatner has continued to make the franchise a part of his life even up till now like he's sort of eating his words there in a way (laughs) true and i think he was kind of making fun of himself too but oh for sure but it was just interesting you know you see khan you know talk about what happened and why the the city alpha six had exploded Mm -hmm. changed the whole direction of the of the planet and killed the planet that they were marooned on and just hates Kirk killed his wife who was supposedly the historian that helped him out of there on space seed. And basically they're saying, what are you doing here? And they won't talk. And that's when he gets the creatures in their ear and says, all right, now you tell me what's going on here. (laughs) So this scene uh, scared me so much when I was little that we had to turn it off. 
I couldn't oh, handle God. it. I remember my, my family trying to call me down. They're like, this doesn't look that real. Like, they're little puppets. Like, they tried to explain it to me, and I was not having it. The sight of those two officers in pain, I was done. <laughs> it was yeah. like this scene, and there was also an episode of TNG where a little creature crawls on somebody and gets lasered off their face or something. And uh, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes, it looks terrible now but as a kid i I, that just uh, it was i was out of there um and this scene was like that too so every time i watch this scene i just kind of chuckle at the thought of how much oh yeah (laughs) we we get older we we realize the truth behind it but still just like i agree it's it's a scary kind of horror kind of sequence and just again showing how how much khan's willing to go to get his revenge and find out what's going on and so you know, we flash back to the Enterprise and inspections happening. I think one of my favorite scenes after the inspection happens is when Spock gives Savick the chance to pilot the Enterprise out because Spock is now the captain of the Enterprise. Right. And so giving Savick a chance to uh, leave space dock. And I love when McCoy asks Kirk if he wants to tranquilize it because you could just see it's killing him and he just quickly shakes his head. No, stop it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it's it, it's one of those things to seeing the Enterprise in its glory and to seeing it taken out at that point. I was expecting I forgotten they don't go to warp. They just kind of move, you know, I was I was missing. It's like, oh, why couldn't we go to warp in this sequence? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, one of the moving on, you know, we kind of get the thing that carol marcus is calling kirk because she had just found out that unbeknownst to her that reliance coming to regular one trying to take genesis and he Chekhov used kirk to say oh captain admiral kirk gave these orders and she's begging kirk which we don't really know their relationship at this point but they had one and uh saying why are you why are you trying to take genesis what do you mean i don't know what you're talking about Right. And so my favorite sequence favorite sequence is actually that alone time between Kirk and Spock in Kirk and Spock's quarters. Oh yeah. And and where he says Kirk says, you know, I've talked to Starfleet, they want us to investigate what's going on at regular one and see what's what's why Reliance seems to be insistent on taking Genesis. And Kirk goes, I'm I'm not gonna take your command away and Spock goes it's not a training mission anymore. This is an actual duty and you're the senior officer. And he calls out Kirk saying it was a mistake for you to accept promotion and not, Ooh. and not uh, continue on as command of the ship. Wow. Yeah. And, and as I pointed out earlier, it's a similar warning. He gives Picard in generations. Don't do anything to get to lose that chair. Mm-hmm. Cause you might not and, get it back. You might not. And uh, uh, even though we've only had a few people portray Spock, Leonard Nimoy just uh, is just amazing at, at, at this. He just he perf- he is just awesome at this. It's I his can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not saying anyone else hasn't done a good job, but he's just so good in this scene. Mm-hmm. He really is. Um, I wanted to touch really quick on with the Reliant. Did you watch some of the behind, behind the scenes about the Reliant itself? A little bit. Yeah. That. Um, the main thing that was interesting to me was that uh, I guess they designed them here and then they would send 
the uh, plans to a guy in Israel who would put the ships together. And when they did that, he sent the, uh, you know, the blueprint back and he signed it. He said, looks good, but he signed it upside down. And, (laughs) (laughs) and they were like, oh crap. He looked at this whole thing upside down and he's making an upside down ship right now. Because I mean, this was 1980s. So they, you know, it wasn't like they were firing off emails or anything. So, Mm -hmm. um, they were like, well, what should we do? Should we, you know, tell him no and tell him to write? And they were like, we actually just don't have enough time or money. Like, we're just going to have to make it work. So the Reliant is upside down. Um, and they just added some things to it to make it look like they meant to do that. But after you know that, you can't unsee it. <laughs> You're right. Everyone, we've ruined the Reliant for you. We <laughs> sorry. <are> so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that about this movie. I love that there's so many things like that, like with their uniforms, just like redying them or, you know, um, or the fact that this ship was upside down. Like, there's so many decisions that were made, like kind of on the fly because they had to. And I feel like you get a lot of great results sometimes with that. I mean, sometimes you get oh, bad yeah. results, but, you know, it worked out with Rathacon. So just wanted no, to. No, I mean, a, a mistake became a, a an iconic ship at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we finally get our quote unquote first dogfight as, um, oh, actually one thing I found a first for this movie, um, when Kirk and McCoy and Spock look at the, the whole thing of Genesis, the computer simulation of it, that was actually the very first com- complete computer generated sequence ever used in film. That little, uh, Genesis sequence. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we get our first kind of little dogfight as, Khan's moving in reliant they don't know he's there and he's just drawing him in for the kill shot and just hits him with everything he's got and basically comes close to almost crippling enterprise and mm-hmm. that's when he makes the reveal um uh, of who's there and just you see kirk's face just is just jarred it's like mm-hmm. oh my gosh he's he's back yeah yeah, such a good uh, idea to bring someone back from the show to kind of win fans back over too. And it it brings up uh, the the scene where Kirk doesn't like to lose and it will find any way to get his way and cheat death and finding the so-called combination the prefix code to get reliant to lower the shields and Nicholas Meyer on the commentary had said that whole prefix code sequence um, William Shatner, according to him, kept on overacting and he made, <laughs> he made him do that about five or six times till he got so bored saying the line. And in his opinion, said it the best way and more relaxed and saying, here it comes now, Mr. <laughs> Spock. That's awesome. And, and I just love it that the shields go down. I can't raise them. And Kirk goes fire. <laughs> <laughs> and, and apparently this is the only time we ever see in the original series of movies of uh, phaser ships using phasers uh, oh, really? to attack. Everything else has been photon torpedoes ever since. Oh, that's right. Okay. That's interesting. I did not notice that, but that, that checks out when you say that. But, uh, you know, it, it, but the damage has been done to the ship. I mean, number of people have been killed. Um, you know, we see what is supposedly Scotty's nephew killed that little sequence where he says, you know, he stood at his post while the trainees are ran, you know, that's supposed to be his nephew. And so as yeah. Kirk says, he didn't, he didn't win. He got, he escaped w- while he got caught with his britches down, you know, he yeah. got comfortable. 
he, he got cocky. Yeah. Yeah. That part's really heart wrenching. And then the blood smeared on a Kirk's uniform. Very powerful visual with that, I think. And we, we move on to, they finally make it to regular one and everyone's dead on the ship. <laughs> Very like horror it, sequency. It kind of reminds me a little bit of some of the scenes in like first contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Jones or a, a haunted, a haunted house at that point. But they, the people that aren't killed on the ship are uh, Captain Terrell and Chekhov. And something in the back of my mind was like, okay, we've got Khan. He's willing to do whatever he needs to do and kill in order to get what he wants. But these two are alive. That didn't set up some <laughs> red flags. <laughs> right. I know. Um, yeah. And this is where we find out they're like kind of mind controlled and they mm-hmm. turn on him with their phasers. I thought that whole yeah, sequence they, was really good. Yeah. When they beam down to the planet and they find out, um, you know, they finally find Carol on the pl- Genesis the Genesis cave planet mm-hmm. and he meets his son for the, I don't know. I don't know if it was the first time, but it definitely they hadn't seen each other in a long time. And like you said, uh, uh, check off and Terrell turn on him and say, and you, they realize that they're on the wrong side. You know, they're on con side, but mm-hmm. not really. They sense something's up with them. And that's when Terrell commits suicide because the creature is eating his brain <laughs> Right, <laughs> can't, can't handle it, and they basically check off collapses, and they're able to kill the creature. And we get the infamous sequence where Khan just says, "I'm not going to kill you." You know, he's he Khan gets Genesis, he beams it up, and Kirk tries to bait him, say, y- "You got Genesis, but you don't have me. You don't <laughs> have me." At that point, he says, "No, I'm just going to leave you like you left me, buried alive Dang. on a dead planet." Cold. <laughs> Come <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, I also kind of felt sorry for Captain Terrell because they totally could have saved him. <laughs> like they literally sip check off right away after him. Like, God dang it. They could have saved him. <laughs> uh but but yeah, so they're they're left behind and he um they told Enterprise if they before they got on the planet if they didn't uh answer in two hours to get to the near star fleet and go so enterprise probably is gone by this point but i like the kind of quiet moment we get between carol and kirk probably the only moment we really get to kind of understand who they are and what their relationship was mm-hmm. and a really you know our human moment of kirk you know almost saying his first since the opening of the movie with the birthday and him being sullen about the whole thing saying that i did what you wanted i stayed away why didn't you tell him you know, yeah, it, it just it, and you can see the regret. And I wouldn't say it's even anger. It's just it's just regret of a life that wasn't right. Yeah, he was always and, at odds with, I think, you know, he's an adventurer and he's supposed to be captain uh-huh. of the ship. But there's a cost to that. And I think as he gets towards the end of his life, he's thinking about all those shoulda, woulda, couldas. Yeah. And and even Carol basically says exactly what you said. I didn't want him chasing through the universe with his father, which is I want. I wanted but- him with me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was the right choice, but maybe that's just my judgment. <laughs> I shouldn't be so judgy, I guess. <laughs> and then she gives him the credit, saying he's a lot like you, though. <laughs> don't worry, I didn't tell him about you, but he's like you. <laughs> oh. And so it's just like it kind of makes us. Sl- it. 
I don't even think it was meant to be a funny line, but it kind of like saying, I've got a man that I haven't seen in 15 years that's trying to kill him. And I have a son that hates me enough that might actually help him do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then we, we actually see what Genesis is in, in, in a cave, like this whole, uh, a whole dead, dead cave turned into life and turned Mm -hmm. into this like lush area. And I'll tell you what, some of those sequins that 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 it looked like they did an oil painting, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But it's the budget at the time and what yeah. they can do. So, but it, it works for it. But I love how when um we get the truth behind the Kobayashi Maru and how Kirk beat it, mm-hmm. <laughs> that he he changed he changed it because he doesn't believe in the no win scenario. And yeah. his son goes, oh, you cheated. <laughs> he said, no, I just changed the parameters. <laughs> I made it fair. <laughs> um, and that's when we get the truth that Enterprise is, is ready. And they, uh, I like how Savick says, you lied. You're not supposed to lie, Spock. He's <laughs> like, no, I exaggerated. <laughs> yes, classic Spock. But how about that, our next kind of, chase sequences reliance on on pursuit they they think enterprise is somewhere else and they're chasing them and they know they can beat them and so i just love we get the bombastic music enterprise is preparing for a battle they're they're mm-hmm. going to do something to even in their limping state um i just say i, I heard it, it was like oh man that's on, it's on we know we're you know <laughs> they're, they're going for it but um but they they find this whole idea of like we're going to go into this nebula, and it's going to be even no shields, no sensors, no view screen, no rules. Yes, we're we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go into this, and and Khan they have realized, to right because the Reliant is yeah. such a better ship; it's more advanced. Playing back on that whole age thing again. <laughs> True, and, and they're not as they're not as hurt as Enterprise is. I mean, mm-hmm. they basically when he said you've had two hours, what have you been able to get done? And Spock says, not much. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. got it moving. That's the best we can do. <laughs> that um, was another but- thing that Nicholas Meyer mentioned is he injected like some humor into the script on purpose um, mm-hmm. because he felt the original series was too dry, which I don't know if I agree with him about that. Um, I thought there were some fun moments in the original series as well, but he certainly put his comedic touch on this one. And I do think that influenced the later movies. I agree, and I, I agree with what you said. I don't. I think maybe what he thinks is too serious might have been maybe his view is too campy. Looking mm-hmm. back on it, but I agree there was humor in the original series, and I and I don't think the humor was not misplaced in, right. in this one. It did not. You know, how some people say Marvel can be too funny and they put jokes and things. I mean, I think in this in this movie, I think that this movie in particular, I think the jokes are are well done it's it's it fits the characters particularly mccoy mccoy has some of the funny moments in it just in banter (laughs) as uh when i was younger he was like my favorite like i loved him so much i kind of i felt like i identified with him like i was you know probably just because i was an like an angry bitter teen and he was the most bitter character so i just (laughs) loved him but yeah I think my favorite line is in the next movie when uh, he goes, that green-blooded son of a bitch. It's his (laughs) revenge for all those arguments that he lost. (laughs) That's right. I love it. But uh, but Reliant is trying to go after them, and and they 
they're going back and forth and you, you see as people saying, you don't need to go after him. We can, we got what we need. And he says, no, I'm going after him. I'm taking him down. And uh, Reliant gets a shot off and they both respond in kind and they both get good hits on each other. A lot of cons people are, are killed in that first initial battle. And then Scotty reveals that he has to take the mains off the line because the damage is too great there's radiation going into the uh warp core poor scotty and, man <laughs> yeah he's he's taking it hard this, he always this, is this time. <laughs> and and poor jimmy doing actually prior to the film had 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 a heart attack and <laughs> still oh, poor jimmy he he always yeah oh i loved him he was like the first not to get dark but like the first cast member the main cast member to pass away and that was like rough yeah. he was so sweet i loved him but right after that, they get to, um, you get that. I just love it how the filming of it, just seeing, you know, Khan's like, literally, he's praying to fi- get it, to finally get Enterprise and be the one at first. But then you see Enterprise rising behind him and Chekhov saying, ready when you are, Captain, and just shoots the photon torpedoes at them and just cripples. I mean, they take out the 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 one of the fins one of the you know they just destroy basically cripple reliant and they said tell O'Hara, kirk tells him or hail them tell them to surrender prepare to be boarded and um and i think what truly we get con critically wounded just you know he 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 activates genesis yeah and he says fine i'm going down i'm taking everyone with me mm-hmm so evil. <laughs> so yes, exactly. Just like the pure saying, I know I'll, I'll be, I'll be dead, but I'm, I'm going to win this one, one way or another. But I love Kirk's line. Just and you, and even the first time, even watching it now, I've ever seen this like so many times. Kirk saying, "Scotty, I need warp speed in three minutes, or we're all dead." I mean, first time I saw, it, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, a lot of times throughout this movie, you say, "Oh my god, I are they? They're not going to make it." Yeah, and I mean, the, Kirk's the, usually not that dire. I mean, he's always mm-hmm. like, we're going to get out of this. Now he's like, we need to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's almost like a message. Like you spit in the face of the Kobayashi Maru. Now it's time for you to realize that there's a reason behind this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I almost think that's one of the things that um, Into Darkness does really well mm-hmm. is looking at that whole idea of like, there's a reason for the Kobayashi Miru. They definitely you know, you, focus you, you, on it way more. Yeah. What, yeah. And I, and I think they do a real good job with it. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, this is almost penance for doing it in this. And I like it how subtle it is when Spock hears that he has a thought, just gets yeah. up and leaves. Ugh. And, and I see it's like, wait a minute. What the heck are you doing? Where are you going? And you see McCoy stop Spock saying you know what are you doing he said there's radiation here saying you know human can take that says well i'm half human so i'm not all i can take it and mccoy says you're not going in there and and spock says you're probably right how's mr scott and then puts the vulcan nerve pinch on him touches his face the vulcan mind meld and tells him to remember and apparently according to some stuff i had read and, and heard that uh Spock's mind meld with McCoy wasn't in Meyer's original script. 
um, nor did he direct the scene. It was added after test audiences supposedly wish there was hope that Spock could be revived. I was going to say um, there's a lot of hope at the end. I mean, yeah. it, for it to have caused so much controversy is almost funny now because they leave so many like little things that wouldn't make sense unless he comes back. But yeah, it's just he's so beloved at this point. I mean, he's really mm-hmm. I think he's like the favorite, you know, um, but even in. Even in uh, Leonard Nimoy's biography, he had two. He wrote a book called I Am Not Spock. And then, <laughs> That's he, right. I, then he wrote I Am Spock. And I listened to the audio so many times when I was a kid because it was one of my favorite books to to listen to because Leonard Nimoy you know, did the audio book. So how can you not pass that up? And it's yeah. great because he has a conversation. If you ever get a chance to download the audio book, it's really cool because he has he has conversations as Spock talking to Leonard Nimoy. Going oh, back I towards. love it's that. Really, it's really cool. But he he basically says how much he hated the character at that point. He wanted to be done with it. That's why he was so intrigued about killing off Spock. But um, according to that biography, Har Bennett approached him during the filming of the scene and suggested doing the mind belt as a thread we could pick up in a later film. And it was Nimoy that's, that suggested the single word, remember. And he makes no mention of the studio ordering the change, nor being any test audience screenings. Um, he does state that Paramount had concerns from the outset that they wouldn't accept the death and that Meyer had reservations about doing the scene. It reminds me a lot of the way Harrison Ford felt about Han Solo, you know, mm-hmm. the original Star Wars movies. He really wanted him to like die off and he did not get his wish granted. <laughs> um, many, but, many years later. <laughs> yeah, many years later. <laughs> but it's just, it's kind of interesting how some of these characters that are just so incredibly iconic, it's like, that there's a, a lot of weight to that. And I, I can totally understand the actors just sometimes being like, I just need to get out from under this mm-hmm. <laughs> and making peace with that later. Oh yeah. And and you see him Spock enter into the chamber and Scotty comes out. What are you doing? No, don't do that. And, and I'm like, as a kid, I'm just like, what is he doing? What? Oh my God. You know, <laughs> you're, you can't die. You can't do this. No, 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 no. And then we flash back up to the bridge and Sulu makes the comment to everyone and says, we're not going to, we aren't making, we're not going to make it, are we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and saying, oh my gosh, that's really happening. And, and Khan, one of his last, I think it's his last line of the movie, he says, from hell's heart, I stab at thee from, for hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee, quoting Captain Ahab mm-hmm. from Moby Dick. I mean, this is just, he, his whale is Kirk in the Enterprise. Right. And, Right at that moment, and we can some people who says, "Oh, of course we we knew this was going to happen." Boo hiss! But at that moment, I didn't know. And at that moment, the mains come back online. Spock's able to do it, and he gets warp drive, and they get the heck out of there mm-hmm. right before Genesis explodes. And um, you know, we see the transformation. A lot of great fanfare from uh from the soundtrack, but there's someone missing. And Kirk falls down <laughs> to engineering and says, Mr. Scott, you're a miracle worker. And McCoy is the one who answers saying, you better get, Jim, you better get down here. And you better get down here quick. And he notices, and I thought it was great direction at that point, Kirk just looking at the empty chair and basically, go, oh, shoot. And just yeah. getting off the bridge and going without saying a word, he just knows he's something's happened to his friend. Um. And he's just trying to rush in there and Kurt and McCoy and Scotty stopping him. Oh my gosh. I think as a kid, I, 
I even tear up a little bit seeing it now. Oh, but for I know sure. I'll, I was I'll, like I'll, in I'll... shambles as a kid, but and now as an adult, it, it really gets to me. I think the blocking of the scene is part mm-hmm. of why it has so much weight to it. Like it, it's just done so well, just the way they switch perspectives from behind him, in front of him, the way they position them mm-hmm. when he's slumping to the ground. Everything about it is just, ugh, it's so good. And I think the decision to have absolutely no soundtrack, you just hear the dialogue. And and at one moment you see when Kirk goes Spock and you see him get up, fix himself and just kind of, Oh wait, wait a minute. I think, is he making it? He's making it. And he just kind of has a graspy voice. You see the radiation burns on his, on his face. And and I've got to requote it because it's so it's probably the favorite dialogue. He goes ship out of danger. and, And, Kirk goes, yes. And he said, don't grieve, Admiral. It is logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And Kirk goes, or the one. I never took the Kobayashi Maru test until now. What do you think of my solution? And Kirk has absolutely no response uh, to what Spock just said and just is in disbelief. And he says, I have been and always shall be your friend. And oh, takes I cry off every time. <laughs> and takes off his glove and gives the Vulcan sign saying live long and prosper and just slumps over and dies. And it's just like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> so it, it's just like, just as you think it's so victorious, mm-hmm. Khan finds a way to win and to take yeah. out Kirk's most trusted friend. And, and this is, and I think even for someone that, you know, only was recently getting into Star Trek, I felt that weight and I just knew the history behind Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. And it and that's what even felt probably felt it so much weighted is just like, oh my God, this is they're iconic gone. characters. Icon- yeah. And you know, the 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 funeral scene Kirk eulogizing Spock and saying out of all his and all his encounters of his travels, Spock was this was the most human. And you see him oh. fighting back tears and, and they launch his body out into space in a photon torpedo tube. And you even see Savick crying too. And right. for someone that I, I, that I caught that this time and I said, that's really odd for someone that's a Vulcan <laughs> that's supposed to be like that. And apparently when this aired on sci-fi, Leonard Nimoy was giving some behind the scenes and apparently what was supposed to be written that she was her backstory was intended to have a Romulan Vulcan heritage. Ooh, I love and, that. <laughs> and so that's perfect. And so and he said that it which would have made her more emotional than a pure blood Vulcan. Sure. Three yeah. hints of this he said in that behind the scenes saying that remain in the film. During mm-hmm. the Kobayashi Maru, she says to herself, damn. She gasps in shock when Scotty appears on the bridge with the uh, midshipman's injured body and then the emotion, the crying during Kirk's eulogy. Mm-hmm. But they that, never, ever say that. That's true. Um, yeah, and for those that are not huge Trekkies, so the Romulans are basically the same race as the Vulcans, but the Vulcans have chosen to restrict their emotions, whereas the Romulans did not make that choice, and they split, and so that's why that's such a big deal if she's half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see... You know, the, we see him go off, and you know, Spock's gone, and they um, I another nice quiet sequence is David coming into um Kirk's room and saying that 
how he praises his dad saying how it's saying for saying like, well, how he remembered Kirk saying, it's not how we face death. It's as important as how we face life Mm -hmm. and that he was wrong about Kirk and that he's proud to be his son. And he goes for a hug. And I like it that Kirk looks like he's struggling with this because, and I don't think it's because he, he doesn't want to hug him. It's because he, he's never he never got that opportunity to see him grow up and he's just like oh my gosh is this happening am i am i getting my son back yeah and also i think it should be reversed he should be saying that to him i'm i'm so proud of my son yeah so it's like i i just think he's got a lot of he's been dealt a lot of blows of like you really are getting older and you really are gonna die someday and now your best friend died and you're you know um, I'm never going to give up attitude has just been proven wrong. And then his son being like, I'm proud of you and being like the more mature one. I felt like that was also <laughs> kind of, you know, rough for him. True. And, and, and that the son is teaching the father right? You know, and, and praising him. And, you know, they go to the bridge and they see Genesis and McCoy says a line saying, you know, it's, he's not really dead as long as I, as long as we remember him and, Meyer says in the commentary he had read about a a, a biography about the um, uh, Holocaust uh, during the Holocaust. Raoul Wallenberg, who is famous for saving all these the uh, huge amount of Jewish people from the Holocaust, and someone had made that line when they couldn't. Mm. Raoul Wallenberg, famously, we're not sure if he how he made it out. We know he's no longer alive, but. Someone had said, well, he's got to be dead. Well, he's not dead as long as we remember him. And he loved that line so much. He gave, he told McCoy, I want you to say, he ran out of set that day and said, I need you to say this line because it's, wow. it's perfect for I love it. That's, and, that's perfect. And I think it's also comforting to the audience. Like you remember mm-hmm. this character. He's near and dear to your heart. You have years of, you know, backstory with this character and you remember him. You make him important. It kind of makes the audience feel almost like they're participating in a weird way too. Yep. And, you know, Kirk kind of looking out, he, his, his chin's on, on the, he's just staring off and he quotes A Tale of Two Cities, which is the book that Spock gave him. And he quotes the, the line saying, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I've ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go than I've ever known before. And um, for the first time, he, he McCoy says, you know, McCoy asked him, you know, how are you, are you okay, Jim? And he says, I, I, how do you feel? And he says, I feel young. I when love that. Adult, he said, <laughs> I feel old. And, yeah. you know, we get that. We go to Genesis and, you know, we see the torpedo soft landed on Genesis. No zombie Spock, but we just see the torpedo has soft landed on Genesis. And, and that life's starting over. Life is starting over amongst the death. And, as we kind of said, the death of Spock was supposed to be final and irrevocable in part because Leonard Nimoy, again, wanted to be done with Star Trek. He didn't want to bring <laughs> back the character. However, he enjoyed the experience of filming Star Trek 2 so much that he asked if he could return, and he actually directs his return That's in right. the next movie. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek fans and test audiences reacted negatively to Spock's death, so Paramount leaked the plans that Spock will live again before the second <laughs> film was actually released. In true comic book type <laughs> resurrection. Don't you yep. feel like it's like a comic book in the next oh. one? 
And oh, you yeah, can but listen even, to that episode. We covered that movie too. So. Yes. So we got our first one. We could, we could, we'll do, we'll somehow we'll, you'll end up with all the Star Treks and you can have a nice little series you could put out. Um, yes. But I love it how it ends with Spock saying the Star Trek mantra with yeah. a small little change saying space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the Starship Enterprise, her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before. And I think it's like the first time too, that someone that's not a captain is saying that. Yep. And and they, the line that they change is in the original series. It's is um, instead of her ongoing mission is what they said. Now it's, it was supposed to be her five-year mission. Oh, okay. Ah, I didn't notice that. That's pretty cool. So I think that was such a great way to end it. Gives you hope. Um, like this is going to continue on, even if there's not other movies, it makes you feel like yep. it's, yeah. And it's almost like, you know what, if this was it, this was the last and only other Star Trek movie, even though, you know, at the time they, I knew there was a third one in with the title of the search for Spock is like, all right, we're, you know, <laughs> he's coming yeah. back, but it's still, it, I, I think they were very successful at everything. This was, Dare I compare it to Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> you know? I'm sorry, Star Trek fans that just hate Star Wars, but I love them both. I think. Right. I, I <laughs> was kind of a hater when I was younger. I, I really liked Trek more. And I think I was sort of, I'm always picking like the underdog franchise. You've probably <laughs> noticed that about me. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, this was more my speed. I really like Star Trek. But as an adult, I, I like them both. I have a Luke Skywalker costume now. So, you know. Nice, but but it was one that, uh, you know, in some ways the good guys won, but in a lot of ways, Khan won. Khan mm-hmm. got Khan got a couple of wins in. He in, did, in, namely the death of Spock. You know, he is the direct reason for that. So I know Ray from uh, Fans Without Borders uh, is is notorious saying, "I hate it when the villain wins," but I would love to hear how he. Uh, you know, being I know how huge of a Trekkie he is. Right. Is, That's a is, good question. Um, we have to ask him that. And I'm always trying yeah. to get him to come on the show. I name drop him sometimes. Yes. Ray, Ray you got to come on, buddy. <laughs> you got to do this. You're going to, you can pick anything you want, but I would love to also hear you on. <laughs> yes. Especially on Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That is interesting. See, for me, my favorite movies have strong villains. I feel like the villain is only as good, you know, has to be as good as the the hero. Or a hero is mm-hmm. only as good as his villains. And so I, I love that. You know, I think that's why this movie sticks out in people's minds so much more than some of the other ones. Um, and I think that's why and, it's such a strong film. And it's formulaic in some things and a lot of things it's not. Mm-hmm. Like they, they I think Myers and, and even though he's the uncredited writer, I think he did a good job of bringing shock and, and taking chances with this series and bringing a different direction to it that obviously worked yeah. because as we said, it was emulated and continued on with the rest of the movies, the next generation and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. I think it heavily influenced how the next generation uniforms are designed even and the look and the tone of that show as well. Uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit. He, he talked about designing the inside of the ship sort of looking like a U-boat a little bit. Um, with some of the screens and also he mentioned like he added you know that whistle in the very beginning Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember when I was watching it this time I was like did they ever use that before like I had to go read about it and I was like okay they didn't this is all intentional and I love even the way that they design like the consoles um, 
there was a, a woman, I, gosh, I can't remember her name. I think it might have been Carol something, but she talked about how she played like the accordion. And well, she, okay, let me back up. She didn't like <laughs> on the show that a lot of the characters would look up while they were touching a screen. And she's like, how do they know what they're doing when they're constantly looking up, but their hands are like flying across a keyboard? And then she oh, thought yeah. about the fact that when she plays an accordion, she's not looking at one of her hands that's touching all the buttons because she knows where the buttons are. Um, so she designed the console to kind of have those type of buttons on them mm -hmm. so that it would look more natural when the characters weren't looking at them. Although the real answer is it's boring to watch a show where everyone's looking at a screen, <laughs> but you know, so they have to look at the big screen at the, at the window or whatever you want to call it. Um, their windshield, whatever you call that big thing. Um, but, you know, that's more exciting to look at for everyone, for dramatic purposes. But uh, it, it is funny that she noticed that. And so she influenced the design of the console. And and I, I really feel like all the other bridges started to kind of look like that after a while, the way they look mm -hmm. in this movie. Uh, so it's a big change, I think. That circular uh, kind of design. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um. So I guess we're getting towards the end here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so uh, why why do you like this particular Star Trek movie so much? Uh, why do you think you've seen it so many times? Um, I, I love a lot of things about it. Um, I simply love how the movie makes Kirk probably the most human and vulnerable we've ever seen him. Right. And, you know, and I, f I find myself uh, personally relate really relating to his personal struggles that he's uh, having this movie, the struggle of getting older and how to feel youthful as each year passes. Um, you know, last uh, 20, 2017, 2018, you know, I just struggled personally with finding a direction to my life. Um, I just felt stuck. I wasn't happy. Um, just trying to find something to enjoy. And, and, and so I, I spent a lot of time actually watching this movie a number of times that year and seeing how Kirk had these struggles and, and made me see that I could learn to persevere against the odds. You know, I was kind of in my own Kobayashi Maru scenario <laughs> and I had to find my own way to persevere against the odds. You know, the birth of my kids, my wife, I'd gotten, I eventually got a new job. Uh, my passions helped me with that. And, and kind of like, you know, Kirk says, Dan, I, I feel youthful again. Yeah. And, yeah. I like that a lot. And, That's awesome. And, you know, the movie does such an amazing job with the character development. You truly feel for each one of them. And I challenge anyone, as I said earlier, not to tear up as, as when the, the death sequence of Spock and Ricardo Montalban is just, he probably goes down as his portrayal in this movie as one of the most best villains um, who's not only evil, but just calculating. Right. No, I totally agree. I think, as I mentioned earlier, one of the main reasons why I really like this movie is I love the villain. Um, and I think that, you know, it, there's enough different things about it. You can tell that somebody came in that wasn't a super fan with, um, you know, fresh eyes and kind of did their own take on it. Like, what are the best parts of all this? And let me put that into a movie. And I think because an outsider did that, he made a movie that outsiders can enjoy. So you don't have to, I don't, I think it, it helps to have that background with Star Trek and to know who Khan is and all that stuff, but you don't have to have that, you know, as a little kid, I don't think that I had all that background when I saw this movie, but I got it and it was mm -hmm. still really enjoyable and very compelling. I think that he does a great job fleshing out, who 
Kirk is, as you've mentioned, and who all these characters are and what the themes are. And I think they're very strong. Um, and I love finding out that he added so much detail that influenced so much going forward, because I think part of why I've always liked Star Trek so much is because it is so immersive. You know, I was talking to a close friend, um, my friend Kara, that she kind of introduced me to Trek and ruined my life, basically. Like, now I have no life, like <laughs> William Shatner said. Um, but, uh, you know, I said when we were younger, you know, not that our parents were like broke or anything, but, you know, I didn't really go to summer camp. I didn't really go. We didn't go on ski trips. We didn't go on trips to Paris in the summer. She and I had a lot of nights at her place eating pizza and watching Star Trek. And that was literally enough for me. Like it was just such a fun world and um, such a big part of my like childhood and teen years and uh, has just always stayed with me. And so I just really love this particular movie and I love the franchise so much. And I'm really happy that like now there's just so much out there for people to sort of, you know, get involved with and watch and enjoy that, you know, fans can kind of find the show that works for them or the movies that work for them. But, you know, this is kind of where it all started. And uh, this is one of my favorite uh, films. So I yeah and, highly recommend. And, and yeah, I think it's, you know, when they actually asked Nicholas Meyer to come back and, and do the third movie and he was adamant. No, um, he wanted to keep Spock dead. He wanted to, he liked a finality to it, but I almost like it that he did come back with undiscovered yeah. country because he brought something else new to that French new to the franchise that I also think uh, the next generation and other movies emulated too. that you could bring some seriousness to it and right. make it even a little bit political and, and still not, and still feel like a good star Trek movie and, and what star Trek could be. And I just like that the outsider keeps on bringing something new to that. I, and the, I kind of echo your whole thing with Star Trek in the sense that anyone can be a, a hero within Star Trek. You don't have to be a certain person. You don't have to be a man. You don't have to be a female. You, you don't have to be a certain race. It's, it's so this idea of everyone can bring something to the table. Exactly. And I mean, even though, and yeah, that's probably why I identified with it so much, maybe even more than Star Wars, because, you know, even though Captain Kirk is the captain and everybody wants to be the captain, all the team members are so important, like you're saying, and they all have a different part to play and there's a place for all of them. And so universe that says, hey, you could sign up and be a part of this, um, you know, was really appealing to me when I was younger, because if I watched some other stuff, I didn't really feel like there was a place for me. But with Star Trek, I always kind of felt like everybody's important from the science officer to, you know, the captain. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I think that's what's so special about the series. And I think this was faithful enough to Gene Roddenberry's vision with still having some new surprises, like you already mentioned. Um, yeah. What is your? Oh, everyone has a every, everyone has a part, including exactly. the red shirts. The red shirts have a part there to die. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's their yeah, but, but, um, their fate. However, in this one, everyone's wearing a red shirt, so I guess everyone could have been marked for death. I feel like that's another kind of fu to Gene Roddenberry a little bit, right? Like you probably <laughs> did not like that, um, and it changed stuff going for, forward. Even in TNG, the red shirts are now the captains. Anyways, um, True. so. What is your elevator pitch for this movie like? How do you kind of uh, pitch it to somebody? You, uh, it would be like if you are looking for a great sci-fi action adventure that has strong, relatable characters and a story where you're not sure if the heroes are going to make it out because mm -hmm. the villain 
is, is so calculating, then you need to watch Wrath of Khan. And I think you said it earlier, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I don't think, don't let's see when it says Star Trek 2, that, oh my gosh, I need to do all this history and, and understand it. You're right, Nicholas Myers did such a good job bringing the mainstream audience into this movie, giving them just enough to understand what the history was. Mm-hmm. You may not, I mean, as someone coming in, just seeing this movie for the first time, you may not be able to appreciate everything about it, but I guarantee you that you can, you won't, if you're into sci-fi and you're into action adventure, you're going to be, I'll be very hard pressed to believe that you won't enjoy this movie. Even if you, this is your very first Star Trek experience. I, I totally agree. I think that Nicholas Meyer saw that, you know, with the Star Wars franchise, like there's not this huge long history there, you know, um, mm-hmm. and especially at the time. Uh, and so y- you don't need decades of world building. And I think he he saw that and he thought, OK, how do we cut to the chase here? Because, you know, if you watch the show, you're going to love this movie. Sure. But we don't just want people that watch the show. We want people to come see this movie. And so I think he figured out a way to tap into both the fans, you know, still respect what they liked about it, but to bring in new people too. And I think that that is important. I know a lot of people become a little too, you know, in love with how things used to be and they don't want things to move forward. But if that happens, then the franchise dies out. And so I love what he did because I think it sold it to the execs that like you can breathe new life into this and you can bring new people on board and it can still be a really good movie so you know it's not like selling out it's just thinking outside of the box yeah and it it needs obviously if if movie making is a business it needs to make money but you know um, that's the thing with you know marvel and, and a lot of the other comic franchises you know say we want marvel and dc they they do it for the fans, but also they have to bring a new audience. They have to find a way to be, okay, if I am a first person, I've never seen a Spider-Man movie. What do I need to do to introduce this to people to get it within five minutes? Cause that's yeah. all I, I, all I have time for is five minutes for everyone to get who this kid is. Yeah. And I've been a Trekkie for years, but you know, when it comes, I, we've talked about you and I've talked about when it comes to like comic books, I'm so grateful for that when they do that, you know, when they make new fans feel like, Hey, like, come on in, we've got something for everybody. And, um, maybe some old diehard fans might not like that, but they're thinking big picture, big picture, you know, thinking about the next generation <laughs> and thinking about everybody. And I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's and I've told you this too that that's one of the reasons I started my podcast, and I, I've said this a couple of times during some of my episodes. Is that's like if you don't like a portrayal that's done, a writer, an artist, a, a movie portrayal, guess what? You have so much source material you can go mm-hmm. back from it, and no one can take that from you. Right? You can, yeah. You, you can dislike what's done, but guess what? You can go back to what you like, and you still have that. And 100%. that's what I love about that's what I love about different directors, different writers, artists, uh, comic books, movies. Otherwise, it's just like I look forward to the next take. Will I like it always? Maybe I don't know, but I'm willing to give it a chance. And, and, and guess what? A lot of times I've been apprehensive, and and sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised, and other times I'm not. But guess what? If I, as I said before, if you don't like it, there's always something else you can go back to that you did like. I agree. And I, I forgot to mention too, 
Um, we've talked about it a little bit, but the other thing that I love so much about this movie is the stakes. I think I'm always talking about the stakes. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I want to believe that they're there. And you did such a great job of explaining how, you know, um, this movie did that so well to where you're kept on the edge of your seat, even though these characters are supposed to be untouchable. And it rewards you in the end with they do kill a main character. So, yeah, you know, way before Game of Thrones, like you said, <laughs> people are expendable, you know, but um, in these in these franchises. So, uh, yeah, that's what I love about it. I think that's why it's such an exciting film. And some of the other ones are really good, but this one has, I think, probably some of the highest stakes. Oh, yeah. I mean, each each one of the films has its own kind of, you know, moment and what makes it great. You know, mm-hmm. even even number five, there are good things in number five. <laughs> Did you ever uh, say stuff like, okay, the even numbered ones are good and the odd number ones are bad? I remember we used to say that growing up. We're like, this one's going to be good because it's even numbered. This one was bad. It, it's because it's odd numbered. Like we made up a whole system of why some of them were good. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I, I think, like I said, I know this is, I love that movie. If I have to pick a, a least favor from this, it, and it's probably the standard one, it, it, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's Final Frontier, uh, number yeah. five. It, it, and, and, and I know there probably is the defenders of it. I think there is good stuff, but you know, I didn't have that kind of like the even and the odds. I think I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed almost every one of them. And if I have to rank my two lowest ones, it's final frontier in the motion and number one, the motion picture. Um, I, I don't even remember the last time I saw the motion picture all the way through. So I, I couldn't it, even tell you what the plot was. It, it's a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and again, there are defenders of it up and down. I am not taking that away. Sure. No. Yeah. Same here. I mean, they're all fun to watch, but yes. yeah, those would be ranked lower for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, on that note, uh, Chris, I want to thank you so much for carving out some time and for picking this movie. Like once again, this has been such a blast. No, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me back. I, I, I look forward to uh, hopefully another opportunity and, and yes. definitely will be calling to you to jump back on uh, uh, my podcast at that point because I've always enjoyed talking with you and I enjoy, you know, even hearing your your episodes. I've never seen the movies. I just enjoy hearing about it and it doesn't spoil anything for me because it, it'll get me to have my own watching experience to see and to take what you got, you all talk about into that movie and appreciating it more. So I think what I you're really doing with this, this podcast is, is great. Well, that's awesome. Where, where can, uh, where can people find you? Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter. I'm at Chris Balga, uh, La- uh, Balga spelled B as in boy, A-L-G-A. Uh, you can, again, my podcast is world's finest true believers. Uh, it's, pretty much on almost every platform, Apple, Google, Player FM, Podbean. If it's not there, let me know. Um, so again, we can find us on Twitter at, at Finest Believers. And and you can shoot us an email at world's finest, uh, world's finest believers at gmail.com. So no, it's, it's, and as I said, this show has been the inspiration for it. And I look forward to, uh, you know, talking with you again, Lisa. And again, thank you again. This was awesome to talk about uh, another one of my favorite films. Awesome. Yes. You have to pick your next one soon. Thanks so much (laughs) for coming on. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.